Hello and welcome to the No Holds Barred Witchcraft podcast, sponsored by ThothWitchcraft.com. Now, you may have clicked on this seeing the word, slash words, Sectum Sempra, thinking about Harry Potter and the wonderful world of Harry Potter and magic. And you might be thinking this podcast has something to do with Harry Potter. And I suppose you'd be right. However, this isn't a fan podcast for people that like Harry Potter. What we're actually going to be talking about is real-life witchcraft. And yes, real-life witchcraft does exist. So, I suppose, Chris, where do we draw the line? What is it that things like Harry Potter get right? What is it that they don't get right? And I suppose near the end we'll talk about how spells actually work. Because the kind of Sectum Sempra thing in the Harry Potter film or books, whatever, um, was someone making their own spell. And nowadays there is quite a big emphasis on buying spell books. They sell quite well on Amazon and in bookshops. And then it's a case of, you know, oh, I need a spell book to make magic work. When actually the best spells are the ones you create yourself. So yeah, we're probably we missing a trick that. there. We're probably missing a trick <laughs> we there. We are probably, probably missing a trick. We probably should publish a load of grimoires. And then that, that way um, we probably make lots more money than we do. Um, nowadays people are. There's, there's no shortage of them, especially with self-publishing. Yeah, but, it does uh, open up a lot of other options, doesn't it? Anyway, Harry Potter. Yes. Harry Potted. And the magical world. So, I think what's I think what's wonderful in a lot of ways and kind of separates um, J.K. Rowling from people like Tolkien... Um, and they, they are similar in the same way that obviously, or um, who's that one that does Discworld? Um, my brain's not working. The um, But what separates the three, the, them, is the fact that obviously they focus so much on a world that's already kind of there. So yeah. they, they create a world that is completely different. So it's not got no connection to the real world quote unquote um whereas whereas with what jk rowling attempts to do is essentially and i think she gets it right most mostly um is this kind of world behind the world so it's a case that they've got this world of moguls um and then obviously the magical world is hidden from sight from the what we would call mundanes um and that magical world that's there I just, um, and she's clearly well researched. She's clearly read every possible mythology going, um, probably read a few more of the occult books that most people these days probably have never even heard of. The older um, ones. The older ones, because, you know, you can't miss it. Not not Kate West, you, you mean? I'm not talking about like, Kate West. You mean like a gripper and that sort you, of thing? <laughs> you're going to try and make me say the W word within the first five no. minutes? Well, I don't know. I mean, are there any Wiccans in Harry Potter? Um, wouldn't you call them... What's that word she uses for them? Squibs. Ooh. <laughs> no, that's nasty. You see, well, I wouldn't you did say it. that. You did it. It's your fault. No, I load the gun, you see, and then you shoot it. That's how this yeah, works. I, I can't help it. I can't it's a help brilliant it. partnership. You go to me. I know the listeners must love it, and if they don't, well, it's not. It's not going to stop because I love it too much. It just <laughs> it makes me laugh out loud. <laughs> so yeah, I suppose. I suppose for me, it's it's one of those where if you take away the ones. Um, although there is an aspect of that in kind of what they're doing with the uh, with the later books and what they did with the kind of spin-off, if you can call it that, um, with the Fantastic Beasts, is that where they do kind of start to talk about magic without words and magic without wands. Um, the ancient form, I think they call it yeah. in kind of Harry Potter, isn't it? Ancient magic. So I can kind of, uh, you know, I can get a bit on board, a bit more on board with that. I think either way, there it's a beautiful world that she's created, and I like that so much of it stays very true to the mythologies that are there before. Mm. Whereas lots of other writers do kind of try and put their own stamp on it. Um, whereas I do think she really does bring out the very best, particularly of some of the um, 
traditional elements, should we say, um, with the with the creatures that she uses and all that sort of stuff that reaches um, which is anyone that's actually, you know, you're not going to be disappointed um, to go and read a book on mythology after reading Harry Potter. Yeah. You know, like I, I like that. I like that kind of true to the, the original material, but has used it to build this um, incredible world. I just well, go on. Be, being a professional witch, you know, like like me and having worked together, I probably know the answer to this question, but I'm sure some people would have it. How many people come to you after seeing something like Harry Potter or reading something like Harry Potter or whatever else is on television, such as Shadowhunters or Charmed or whatever, and ask, is real magic like this? What is it? Is there really a magical world? I had one the other day, which is basically like, you're a witch. Does this Harry Potter magical world actually, is it actually a thing? Or do you all live here? Or how does that work kind of thing? And it's kind of the case, I suppose, how much of it does she get right? Because she's not, J.K. Rowling wasn't, isn't a witch and she doesn't have much of an interest in witchcraft. No, she's she does like alchemy, being, though. Yeah, she's been she's admitted to being interested in, in alchemy and stuff like that. But like, and she from definitely a, turned paper into gold, so you know. Yeah, she's definitely possibly yeah. capable of it. Um, but it's a case of like there isn't. You'd never learn magic from watching Harry Potter, and it worked very. It works very differently, but it yeah. does inspire you to a certain extent, and you can kind of to a certain extent, like you've talked about mythology, you see lore. And you kind of see archetypes there, um, but not really like some things that you can literally read or look at. And it's similar in style and practice to real magic. Um, I know there are some people out there that use wands and brooms and things like that. I know we're not that. It's not our but, cup of tea. But they're represent uh, representational, though, aren't they? Yes. It's not, uh, you know, you they don't point, point wands and... And brightly coloured sparks come out the end, and I suppose the visual aspect for it, um, I love, even yeah. though it's so far from reality. Um, in most, but then it also in circumstances, <laughs> circumstances, and also depending on what set of, uh, you know, glasses you're currently wearing. Yeah. If you're if oh, you're yeah. visually seeing the world, yes. you probably see a lot more of that colour that is there. She's not wrong when it comes to actually talking about energy um, yeah or if you wanted to talk about uh, auras and how somebody's energy levels change and manipulating energy well, that's the thing like she's not wrong will look at people will look at that and they'll say well you know do witches do they use a, a wand and then fire some energy at something and then it all lights up and that can i can i do that and the answer really that a lot of witches certainly online and in books and stuff will say is no you can't do that but in reality that's not exactly that's true not exactly true no like with a lot of things in um you know in uh, film and stuff like that is that you're trying to represent something so that energy that's there that's being fired out when you do that sectum sempra spell or whatever it is a witch with a decent enough psychic ability can see feel and sense that so yes yeah. you can see it it just means that not everyone can see it and they do kind of have that idea of the squib don't they in in harry potter yeah Coming from a magical family, but not being capable of doing it. Yeah. So they can see it. They can see the, you know, they can see the Dementors and stuff like that. They just can't really do it. Yeah. Um, is is that a danger? I mean, what do you think about the kind of idea of you have to be born a witch? I don't, I don't like that <laughs> concept. You know that, that you know, I was going to say that. I don't, I don't it's like a common question, concept, but it is common a common question. question. You don't have yeah. to be born one. And I, I, I get a bit shirty with the insta witches and the who talk about you know these t 10 signs you're a witch yeah. that sort of thing you know i did one of those videos don't you yeah well i think i probably said it was a good idea at the time probably well um, it was a joke but, <laughs> but it is one of it is one of those things where it's those looking for those characteristics of what make you you know you may tick the box of sensitive might give you a leg up in that direction but if you don't have that there's not it's like at the end of the day which is called a craft for a reason 
which yeah. craft you can get depending on where you start or depend on how quickly you get to the next stage it doesn't it means that even if you've never done any of it before there is nothing stopping you working hard at it until you get good at the craft yes natural ability goes a long way um but at the end of the day you could start from nothing and still make a pretty decent witch by the end of it the difference is you might not be one of these that becomes a great witch and that might be the difference well i suppose yeah archetypally if you think about some of the main characters you've got um you've got the idea of the kind of Neville Longbottom he's really he's an idiot but with the right teacher he did manage to master something you know he managed to yeah. do something then you've got like Hermione Granger when you've got the nerd she like constantly puts herself under tremendous pressure and she gets considerably far and she's playing and, catch up on the basis yes, that she's, she's not part of that world yeah where, yet she turns out to be one of the best at it I yeah. think there's a certain part of that that's there if someone has enough drive and ambition to get somewhere, it doesn't matter what subject you're referring to, but witchcraft is no different from that. Yeah. But then when you when you look at the two, the comparison between the two, I suppose, Hermione Granger reminds me a lot of like the Albus Dumbledore character in the fact that when he was at school, he really applied himself kind of a thing and he yeah. never stopped. It was always accomplishing something more. Whereas in the magical community, in the magical world, both in the reality and also in Harry Potter, it's a case of, well, when you graduate, that's about it. That's You only really need to get to the stage where you can make the, the cauldron wash itself up and do a yeah. little bit of this. And then we've got technology such as flu powder for the rest. So. Yeah. Somebody else has thought of some brilliant part of it. And I think that's kind of what I love about it, is it's, it's a replacement of all those technologies that we yeah. talk about. And I, I kind of love that idea that, there is a because she's not wrong but the fact is the the two worlds are much closer there are periods in time where what what was now called science was called magic so yeah. you know that technology does run alongside there is that kind of magic fantasy and sci-fi are both those kind of fields that constantly allow scientists to reinvent the wheel um in this kind of you know somebody's dreaming up some crazy idea and they're like oh well if i apply this this and this i'll get that and i think i think what what you know jk rowling does with that is is create this world where it's kind of like they're two separate things yeah um and that actually there is a magical equivalent to the and i quite i quite like that two side of coin thing that she's got going on and i suppose a divide you can look at it in different ways, which is, is that divide natural ability? Mm. Like you were talking with the muggles being not able to see, or is that gatekeeping? Well, I know that in like television at Charmed, they had the kind of actual witch blood where their blood was actually physically different. But no, it's interesting you pick up on like the culture aspects in that, because of course the iconic view of the witch is the broom and cauldron carrying person, the person that's fixed in that point of time. And yeah. that il that's illustrated interestingly in Harry Potter in the fact that they're around the modern world and they wear normal clothes, but for ceremonies and stuff, it does echo back to a time gone by. But also their technology from a scientific perspective only advances to the point in which it's needed. So yeah. they still use the cauldrons and that, and they don't need heating because they can do a spell for that. Yeah. So you can kind of see the technology. They don't need a computer because they can yeah. get the quill to type itself. Like, and and know... they have maths charms and all that kind of thing, yeah. spells and stuff for that kind of stuff. So, you know, and, and yeah, culturally it's kind of a case of like people expect to see witches dressed in long robes wear pointy hats and that kind of thing because they see it on in, in harry potter but what they're missing is the fact that because in harry potter there's a magical community that's secret it develops its own culture so of yeah. course within that they have their own system of government their own morality that kind of thing whereas you need to remember that in the real world witches walk among you so yeah. they're going to be a part of the culture that you're from or they're going to be a part of a culture from another part of you know the, the world so it's no good kind of 
looking at for something slightly different like no. you know most of the ones in here at the moment are rocking the Abercrombie yeah <laughs> um yeah. but because <laughs> that's <laughs> one of those things and I, mean, I don't even... own a single robe except yeah. maybe a bathrobe but I mean it's interesting from that because of course with Harry Potter she just looks at it from the cultural perspective so these robes don't really do anything but from the ceremonial magician's perspective, then it's a case of, well, actually, these robes are magical. So they are a magical yeah. use. Whereas it's purely kind of ceremonial and from a Utilitarian. perspective. Yeah, from in, in, in Harry, Harry Potter. Potter, which is interesting. Um, but I do like the fact that, like, you get the idea of the mandrake in that. Whereas kind of like, well, in the Harry Potter universe, does that mandrake speak and move for a mundane or a muggle because obviously in the from the magical perspective is the fact that when you work with plants and energies and stuff like that there is that kind of communication relationship on a psychic level and that they will tell you things and you do learn about them that you don't learn if you don't have that connection and that's an interesting illustration from the mandrake because it's physically moving for one person and then for another is kind potentially of not, not at all yeah exactly but what do you I'm, think I'm, the dangers are with 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 harry potter and the universe and the kind of fact that there is i wouldn't say it's misinformation because at the end of the day it's fiction and a story um but what do you think that people see and then they just really don't get over the fact and they're kind of like i don't understand it's like that in harry potter why isn't it like that in the real world kind of thing is there yeah, sticking points i guess i guess part of it is it's fluffy um, you know, yeah. even though they've got dementors and shit like that, I'd, I'd, you know, that other people would kind of say, you know, oh, well, isn't that all like evil and scary and, you know, that sort of thing. But no, it's fluffy bunnies. You can throw light at them and they'll run away. Like, yeah, literally. you know, literally, <laughs> that is that is what you're talking, uh, you know, and I think part and of it oh, is... there's clear black magic and white magic as well, isn't there? Yeah. Borgen and Burks. We are the Borgen and Burks of the physical world. <laughs> well, pretty much, pretty much. If you can't get it elsewhere, you'll find it with us. Yeah. It is very much one of those. Um, but yeah, I think I think like you say, that the the danger is more that there is an assumption that it's because it's so close with how well she's integrated the mythology. Yeah. That there is that assumption that somebody who's mundane would assume that the next part of it is um the next part of it works the same way well if they got that bit right then but they obviously got that other bit right and that must mean that obviously ones are shiny sparkly things and and are great like i don't i i suppose that's the kind of the danger um is that well, it's that... the same it's the same with anything i mean think about these docudramas and stuff like that that are based on a true event it's like yeah. you're supposed to be for telling, you know, telling a, the, a trial or something that happened in in history. And it's kind of like even when they're trying to attempt to explain something that actually happened, they don't really get it fully right. Whereas this isn't even attempting to do that. J.K. Rowling clearly hasn't set out to teach magic. No, she's, she's creating a fictional world. Yeah. Many, but... many authors do that are interested in the occult. They often hide secret messages and things like that within works. And certainly prior to the repeal of the witchcraft act in 1950 in the UK, um, authors would very often get their magical knowledge out there by publishing fiction. And yeah. you'll find that it has extremely boring storylines because you're not supposed to be following the story. You're following what the characters are physically doing. Like yeah. that Gerald Gardner, um, obviously founder of the W word, um, <laughs> created yeah. his, you know, where he was putting rituals in books, but he couldn't say this is witchcraft. He had to say this is fiction about, you know, story yeah. and the story's rubbish and the characters are rubbish because he didn't wasn't interested in that. And that same problem we've kind of covered before with the um, the one about psychics, you know, yeah. we covered covered that part of because you have to say the word. Uh, for edu- you know, for entertainment, Ed- purposes, entertainment purposes only. Yeah. Is is that is that cut off that kind of goes? Oh, okay. Well, none of this is real anyway, so it doesn't really mm. matter. So you've kind of got you've kind of got that issue of 
people don't take it seriously enough that mm. then dabble. Um, yeah. Or will read something. And the problem is it creates that whole whole bunch of words that are on the internet because that's the biggest danger, I think, more than anything, is all those storylines, all that kind of fan fiction that happens afterwards gets mixed up with the day-to-day stuff that's also on there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, obviously, I'm not talking about the W word. There's plenty of that stuff around there that you may as well be reading Harry Potter for. But you just mean, you know, that mixture there means if I search the word Mandrake, how many versions of Mandrake am I going to find? Yeah that actually take you as far away from magical practice as possible. And I think is that kind of the danger that is that there's too much of it that's too similar that allows it to be misinformation. Yeah. And then whose job is it to clear that up? Like, you know, it's just, like I said, I think she's, it's amazing and they're, they're incredible. Well, and it I resonates quite, with people and, and I, yeah, met- christians and that that often say well it's easy for you people because everyone resonates with magic and people are just naturally drawn to this stuff and it is true i mean it's a cult phenomenon not just because she's you know quite a great author and has made this this cool world um it's because it actually resonates with so many people that they feel something there's some kind of undercurrent that they know appeals to them on a level they can't explain and that is magic the problem is most people don't then go and seek it out and if they do they often don't necessarily find it no and most people are happy with just dressing up yeah you know buying buying the ones and all the other wonderful things that um who produces it all oh is it warner brothers that own the rights to most of it i don't know to be honest with who you. produce who produce all these ones in all shapes and sizes for the specific characters and they you know this is it's a whole phenomenon it's not just a book you know yeah. the, the movies the merchandise uh, every, every every shop on the high street is trying to rip off some version of of harry potter because including they know it's us. popular <laughs> including us yeah we you just know, happen like... to actually use magic with the harry potter kind of stuff we'll make your harry yeah. potter object work we can actually teach <laughs> you how to make a horcrux and exactly. you won't need you won't need to you kill won't need anyone. a wand you won't need a wand and you won't need to kill anyone to do that you know that's real magic you can do that you know sectum semper then you know how they made the spell in Harry Potter. Now, J.K. Rowling talked a little bit about spell work, how it works in Harry Potter, and people can do their own research on that. What they really want to know is how does it actually work yeah. in I think what's, real magic? What's, what's particularly, uh, you know, because obviously that's the Half-Blood Prince storyline with yeah. um, with Severus Snape. Like, you know, that goes right right to the... You'd have to really start with the, the potions book in that yeah. one, where... Yeah these spells work better with these tweaks and yes. i really like that like, yeah because it's know, real life isn't it that's yeah. that's it experimentation there's something to be said for experimentation definitely and there's also something to be said that the person that writes the book makes it difficult for you because you have to put some work in there not giving it all yeah. away even when it's an instructional book exactly and the fact is, at the end of the day, even if you... Well, the thing is, it goes back to cooking. You know, we always use that um, that analogy, don't we? Yeah. Which is that, you know, you have the cookbook in front of you. If you're following those instructions to rote, you're not focusing on what you're cooking, are yes. you? And the fact is, actually, what you need to be doing is... I've read it a couple of times. I understand what these ingredients do, how yeah. they interact with each other. If you understand how bread rises and how the air bubbles are created from the bicarbonate mixing, like, you then it's a case of you then understand what the magic is underneath it and what's actually happening that allows you to then go, oh, okay, I understand that how that works. I don't need the book anymore. What I need is these ingredients. And actually, my personal taste, I always like to put a little bit of Tabasco in, you know, or mm. whatever the random ingredient is. That secret ingredient everyone always talks about. Yeah. What's your secret ingredient that makes this taste so good? Like, I think that it crystallises in the best possible way of how you should read any spell book that's out there is take it with a pinch of salt, read it. If you don't like it, it change it. Like, 
why I don't understand why anybody would follow a spell that they don't like the sound of. Or it's because they don't understand how it works. They think of words of power because, like in Harry Potter, spell work is all about like the yeah. spoken word. Although I know J.K. Rowling says that it isn't because she's kind of talked about um, the idea of the fact that the it focuses your mind yeah. to say these things, and you'll see that with real spell work in the fact that the words don't mean anything. They're to get you into the right frame of mind to direct and raise the energy itself. Um, I mean, we do potions making classes where we will help you make potions and teach you how to work with that. When it comes to spell making um, and spell work, I always tell students and stuff like that to get all the spell books and chuck them in the loft or throw them out, put them in the bottom of the cupboard because you're never going to use them again because you don't. It's don't not like chemistry. It's not like chemistry. People often confuse chemistry. Yeah. Because they think this ingredient plus this ingredient must have that effect when it's not like that. Yes, there are instances when you talk about other things that you're incorporating, such as herbal medicine, you're not going to start eating poison plants. Yeah. However, when it comes to the pure magic, which is really what spell casting is, because that kind of gets the point across, I think, also in Harry Potter, the fact that with the potions making, you're thinking of like mundane, there's kind of some kind of use to all these ingredients. Yeah, and they're always to do ma- something or get yes. a job done, aren't they? Yeah. They're and not they're, about... They're, and there's magical use involved as well. However, the spellcasting is pure magic on the in the Harry Potter side. And, and in reality, I think that might be where people get unstuck, is the fact that spellcasting is a lot more complex than it is in Harry Potter. So you can't just give one someone a spell and it work for everyone. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. But and it's not going to work in the same way for everyone. Yes. It may work, but yeah. it may not work in the way that it, it could be because that you are in the driving seat for it. So if you don't believe the words you're speaking or I don't agree with the ingredients that you're using, then why are you doing any of that? Because essentially those those are worked for one person. Then you, you could, could go to the more sinister line and we can talk about sigils um, <laughs> and not using other people's sigils. But, you yeah. know. Um, and the dangers with that. But again, that's all down to somebody understanding how a sigil works and therefore what their purpose is. Yeah. Um, and actually going, well, actually, I probably really shouldn't use that, should I? Because that was created for somebody else for a different purpose. Mm. And I think that, that happens a lot with a lot of spell work is the case of, well, stop doing it. Like, obviously, we teach in a very organic way. Yeah. You know, you only have to look, and I think you did a couple of videos on it somewhere or other, on our how our charm bag class works. Yeah. You know, we have a very simple formula um, for those be- pieces being put together and the order that they go in. But every ind- individual goes away with a completely different bag on the yeah. basis that they're selecting their items blind. Yes, you'll fit the yeah. categories. You've got items from each category but how many of those they put in and what they are and what they're for is entirely judged by their instinct and how they read those ingredients Um, like like food you were talking about earlier a curry is a curry and spaghetti bolognese isn't a curry but you can tweak spaghetti bolognese so much that you can get a hundred dishes together and they're all going to be different and have different flavors same with curries you can make so many different curries so it's really understanding from the student's perspective of okay so where do i draw the line between what a charm bag is and what a candle is or where do i draw the line of what's spaghetti bolognese i shouldn't say spaghetti bolognese because the italians don't like it um and (laughs) you know but there we go i mean it's crazy i mean there's so much to talk about with harry potter that i'm sure we'll end up doing more podcasts kind of delving into the deeper specifics like we're about to go into extra time for the thoth witchcraft patreon so the extended podcast so where do you want to kind of start delving into now then oh difficult well well, yeah it kind of well you know, I suppose leap off directly where we are. So that kind of that organic way of teaching that we use in order to get people to understand how it works. So the fact is you go, well, you all all you need in the first part. And I'm going to say it and you're going to judge me. 
um, is a clear intention is that kind of core bit of what do you what are you attempting to achieve that goal would you prefer the word goal does that sound better it's is yeah it's i would say it's a it's a goal and i, mean, as I was as... always told at school like there's a difference between an aim and a goal and you might have a overall goal in mind but then you've got aims to get to that goal that kind of thing and yeah now i'm gonna go on a mad ramble getting heat stroke <laughs> <laughs> but the you know the for me it's that point of you start with what you want to achieve and the rest of it we make them do blind and yeah. we do that for a specific reason don't we which is that we don't want somebody to be judged by the fact that they know that certain word. If you put a list of oils out in front of them and they'll pick the ones that they recognise the name of, whether yeah. or not they're doing that subconsciously or consciously, they will select those specifically because of it. Whereas if you go, we do it in the way that we do it and go blind as many as you like, we make them use all their senses, smell it. Yeah. Obviously, we yeah. don't let them taste the incenses, but like, you know, they smell it, they interact with it, they feel the energy and they then build that spell. And like how many times have we on uh, after a session like that have watched them go pick the items mm. and then we've gone, that's interesting. You've chose those ones because they're exactly the correspondences or quote unquote that you would find in a lot of these books match up beautifully. Yeah. Well, when you're looking at that, you're really seeing someone discover a way of interacting with something and building a relationship with an ingredient in a way that they've never known was possible. Yeah. With us, obviously, we would see more. So we would see the interaction between the plant, say it's a plant or herb, and the person. But at the same time, they're kind of unaware of that, but they know that there's something about it and they'll start to get images and things related to that. And it's just a case of expanding on that because one of the secrets is, and I'd say it's a secret because people don't discuss it, is very often the ingredients will tell you when to use them. And it's not a case of selecting them out of a book or a chart of correspondences. They will literally tell you. And okay, there are some, you know, you have to think of them as where animism kind of comes in. You have to think of them as almost like people or spirits, you know, in the fact that, they all have personalities, they all have things that they're good at, not good at. And it's a case of, okay, this thing that has a more of a boisterous personality would work, but do I want that in my work? Is that the yeah. approach I want to take? And that's kind yeah. of a secret that you can see people discover really only through working in that way, in an organic way. Well, the thing way. is, yeah, they're used to buying these ingredients from, you know, culinary or whatever. Yes. And it's a case of, you know, they read these books and they tell them they need this and they need that. Um, and they come from a part of the world, you know, they're items that come from the other side of the world. Frankincense, myrrh. They've all got these really exciting, sexy names and are all about um, the energy that comes with them because they're exotic. All these crystals that they have to use. And they've got to use this specific one that only is in Guatemala. And you just kind of like... Well, <laughs> this is a craft yeah. I wouldn't expect to have to unless there was a specific reason I wanted it because at the end of the day it's a consumerist situation isn't it we can have them therefore we yeah. do um yeah. but I wouldn't necessarily if you go back even a couple of hundred years before that you're talking about you'd use what was available to make it happen um yes you might want something woody you might want to plant that is a particular variety but like you say i think what people forget is because they buy the finished product yeah rather than necessarily growing them themselves and developing that relationship with the plant they forget it's a living thing yeah that has an energy of its own and actually no two plants are the same depending on what soil you use or um, and species where, species like how many what, different types of rosemary we got <laughs> exactly like you know um and obviously there's shameless plug here but obviously that's the reason that we only use doTERRA oils come on how long did we spend searching what an um, mlm to go oh, and find you're some sort of multi-level marketing oh, demon. you know to go and find <laughs> i knew you'd have to throw that back at me but the you know the fact that how long did we search for 
um, in order to find a quality product that actually did what we needed it to do. Well, we settled on the fact that we knew that we would end up having to essentially create our own, make our own essential oils, our own production line, because we wouldn't have been happy otherwise. And it was the fact that we came from that mindset of, no, this isn't ever going to be very good. And then we tried it. And then the more research I've done into the production of the oils, because you can talk about the ethics of how the company run their business. Yeah. And then you can talk about the product they're selling. And I'd say that the product that they're selling is great. I mean, when it comes to things like super simple things, when I was talking about frankincense, somewhere, yeah. it's like this frankincense is amazing. I love this frankincense. And the person's like, well, I want such and such a frankincense. And I said, there's lots of different varieties of frankincense. But when you're using this oil, which is one the, the one that we sell on the website, shameless plug, um, yeah you're getting different varieties so like with the rosemary i wanted to do some work because of the chemo types are different depending on what rosemary you get yes but with the oil there are several different varieties in that batch so and and that's you know saying that you know it's actual organic because there's a lot of fraud in aromatherapy whereby it will be synthetic anyway so it's not even actually rosemary it just smells like that synthetically but you're talking but about this... rosemary and various different varieties of rosemary. So the voices that come out of that bottle are very different. Are very different, yeah. And there's more of them. Yeah. That's a strange down... concept, I know. But it's down to the <laughs> it's down to the fact that we are so used to it, and that not only do they want it, they want as exotic as possible, but as for as cheap as possible. Yeah. And that's what's allowed, you know, the synthetics. You're kind of like if you've paid one pound for a little vial of 10 mils of frankincense you are you've got to surely to god understand that that is either synthetic or has been cut with something or is watered down to the nth yeah, degree diluted, yeah. that that's not actually anything and if that's what you're putting into your practice if yeah. you've chosen an an <laughs> A NAF product, you're going to get a NAF working. And, and when you go into a shop and they've got all the essential oils on the shelf and they're all the same price and it's a low price. Yeah. I know that's not how it works. No. <laughs> some of these are easier to get than others and some of them take vast more quantities yeah. to produce. Um, but yeah, it's crazy. And you only, you only have to look at ancient history for that, don't you? And go yeah. that, you know, frankincense was worth more than gold. Yeah. for a large part of most of our history on earth the like, price is going up again mind it is we should probably good. put some more orders in that might be a good. good investment for the future so but my point is uh, the point i was trying to make was if you're going to use those exotic parts because you feel you need to then you need to be buying you'd be willing to pay for them i think that's what it is whereas actually you don't have to use those things yeah. Obviously, you know, rosemary is a great substitute for everything. But yeah. Sorry, oh, don't start help. on that. I couldn't help he, it. He's joking. It. he's joking. He's joking. I'm joking. It's, I'm joking. It's something that someone's been saying recently. But it is the case of actually the work that you're doing and the formulation that you are building is far more important than making sure you've got this specific rose you know specific frankincense from this specific desert area that you know had to be <laughs> harvested on the third month of a full moon like, you, you just i'm rambling because it is shit. um like that that is not going to make your your process or your practice any better by pick, picking those items because they're exotic or because some stupid book what was that one i've got a fantastic book on teas do you remember that one yeah yeah I remember. that is incredible book beautifully i'm not i'm not going to shamelessly point it out because that would be rude but the you know every other one had a random it, and it was a random item that would have considerably been harder to find than mm. the rest of the ingredients and it was just because those random items when oh somebody's gonna have to do some research and someone's gonna have to pay a higher price for whatever that item was yeah it's probably going to make no difference to it and it was an inc- it's an incredible book and i still use it all the time but i ignore the exotic item that they put in because it's not required 
Well, people drawing it back to Harry Potter and stuff like that, people like to make collections and they collect things. And there's kind of like a FOMO fear of missing out to a certain extent, because you'll find yeah. the people that collect ornaments or the people that collect all the Harry Potter ones or that sort of thing. Well, in the magical community, the inexperienced practitioner you'll find normally is the person which has a whole basket or box full of crystals that they've bought at inflated prices and the whole thing full of herbs that they don't even know what they are by smelling them you know and it's a case of it's because oh there's this herb that herb and i've seen people in places like you know herb shops the old style apothecaries look at things and they're like i just want one of everything yeah like, that's really I have to have really, one of everything you're really not understanding witchcraft because that's not yeah how it works it's like yes these ingredients are specific but not in the way you think yeah <laughs> and will work differently based on where they come from mm. and your react your relationship with them like a perfect example is what i am green fingered to the the nth degree i can make anything grow and literally um how many plants this year have i gone through a, a sage mm. i'm on my yeah third or fourth variety and it will not grow for me it shrivels up and dies every but time you don't like sage no you're often bad mouthing it i'm constantly bad mouthing i sage. don't think your relationship with sage is very good if i'm honest no. No. which is interesting so somebody that can find a way for me to one likes but that's, that's a strange thing though isn't it because someone was asking me i was talking to some gardener friend about it the other week and they were saying, oh, maybe, you know, it's, it needs a bigger pot, like they like a bit more room, blah, 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 blah. And they were saying, well, why are you growing sage then if you don't like it? Yeah. And I said, well, I kind of, for me, it's the stubbornness of I need to be able to master it. You know, that's exactly why I <laughs> yeah. do it. Yeah. But at the end of the day, like I love sage in cooking. I don't mm. like sage in my practice. Um, and maybe the garden knows that obviously the garden's being grown for my practice. Yeah. It doesn't fit in with the other guy, the guys that are in the group, you know. But I've gone off on a tangent again. Back to back to Harry Potter. Um, Very true. You know, like I just there is that part of um, is it is it necessary? Because mm. there is a lot there is a lot of the. Um, there is a lot of a class system, etc., that is all in there as well, and reused books, reused clothes, reused pot, you know. Oh, yeah, that's something that they kind of highlight quite a lot, which you will find reflected in um, certain magical traditions when it's all about lineage, literally, in Harry Potter, it's about good blood, are you good a pure blood. blood, you know, whereas in the ma magical community, it's a case of who taught you. And really, yeah. the creme de la creme often you'll find in the magical community are the ones that didn't get taught. They were already aware of the knowledge or taught themselves. So, you know, but that's a whole different thing. So let's talk about, because we kind of talked a little bit about spell work and stuff like that. What about the magical um, animals, beasts, that kind of thing that are in the Harry Potter franchise? Because you've got which is quite interesting. You've got corporeal and non-corporeal, and then you've also got the idea of the fact that there are some beasts which are, even in the realms of Harry Potter, not really considered actually real, like the whole Luna Lovegood Nargles thing. If you remember yeah. that, it's just like she thinks that they're there and she's a witch, but even magical, you know, weirdos and witches Shouldn't don't have. even think that that's a thing. Yeah. And then you've got the pixies and all that kind of thing. Pesty pixie pestonomy, which we'll probably do an entire podcast on at some point. No doubt. Um, but it's like, how, how does magical and mythical beasts and even deities and things like that enter Harry Potter? Because J.K. Rowling, I think, is an atheist, isn't she? So she doesn't really yeah. deal with gods, goddesses or anything like that. No, there's no there's no gods or goddesses in, in that at all. But then there are some very godly people. Yeah, like, and ones know. that are often misconstrued with, um, you know, whether it be the kind of Gandalf, magical practitioners of the past. So yeah. I know that I certainly when I remember as a kid playing the computer game, 
you'd collect, uh, you know, you'd see all these these pictures and cards and things like that, and magical famous practitioners of the past. Oh, the chocolate frog you, cards. Yeah, and you'd see them um, reflected in the gods and goddesses. So you'll find that from the Harry Potter universe, from the particular period of time, which is the Greeks, their magical practitioners looked yeah. a lot like the Greeks and the Greek gods, and they had these fireballs and stuff like that. And then you kind of, she deals with it in that way where they're all magical practitioners or they're some kind of animals. Whereas yeah. it's interesting from um, actual magical perspective from how much of this is spirit non-corporeal and how much is, is this corporeal kind of like a weird beast that people don't come in contact with like Book, Bigfoot or something like that. Yeah. That's and some, this... an interesting difference. And then they have the kind of corruption of the bloodlines kind of thing, don't they, where there's whole conventions if you kind of follow a bit more of the um, fantasy, uh, Fantastic Beast kind of stuff, you yeah. get this, what they define as a beast. Like, yeah. that is a particularly interesting thing where they kind of talk about how, um, I'm trying to think which one it is, but there's uh, one group who aren't classed as beasts and therefore aren't invited to some some great council that mm. they all have to sit on that includes like you know centaurs and whatever but because they don't those that practice magic and those that don't practice magic um and kind of based on a level of intelligence yeah. so kind of how we would talk about are they you know are they smart enough to do something so we would compare us to chimps and dolphins on yeah okay. on kind of the, are the they capable of thing yeah it's a big thing in harry potter that gets addressed in there and then and you just kind of, like, is kind of lefty in the fact that she kind of tries to draw parallels with racism and stuff but yeah and house elves of course all that kind of thing but yeah that's that's an interesting perspective so how did the or very often the magical community in the real world deal with this because it would be different than how we deal with it but you will kind of see this need to categorise into, is yeah. this an elemental, is this a deity, god, dead person, yeah. what is this? And yeah. squabbling that takes place over it Definitely. as well. Definitely, particularly with the um, pagan community, or should we say mm. neo-pagan Neo community. <laughs> and then, but then we have that definition part with us, don't we? Where we both agree... We wouldn't choose the word pagan to describe mm. either of ourselves, yeah. mainly because neither of us, although we may work with deities um, and believe in them, if that's the word you use, from um, a practical perspective, from a practical that we work perspective, with them. but yeah. you don't, you don't, we neither of us worship them, um, and to me that that word pagan refers to uh, devotionism. So pleb, pleb worship, I think of it as. Well, yes, because obviously pagan originally meant country bumpkin. Yeah. Someone, someone too thick to know Jesus was coming. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's one of those, and I kind and I kind of like the dynamic she tries to play with there, where she's talking about rather than level of intelligence, she's talking about magical potential, and you've mm. got like you know how the house elves work on a different kind of magic that allows them. Yes. To that's work a outside very, that's really a great point because you'll see that in magical practice yeah. so there'll be people that can accomplish something with a magical tradition that operates on a certain type of energy and yeah. then them not be able to work with a different one and that often gets even amongst a lot of uh, witches magicians you know magical practitioners that gets lost the fact that there's different energy currents and that just because you're doing spell work or working with such and such a deity or whatever working in some way that that's the only way and yeah. i don't mean that from a hippie perspective of oh we've all got to respect each other because you know what we don't <laughs> No. <laughs> it's one of the benefits of magical practice is all about does it work or not and yeah. there are different ways of working and for that goes to the point of uh, um how we all see energy differently yeah so you know there is that part of uh, depending on how you are used to working or what um let's say for lack of a better word what type what reality <laughs> you are working yeah. with yeah um, how you view energy, how you view magic, 
how you're able to work with it within the system that you you work, but also from a you know changing faces of deities would be an, obviously a subject for a different time, but kind of touches on that there, which is that that same deity and same energy stream in theory can appear and be worked with in so many different ways um, that allows two, two practitioners to experience a completely different version mm. of the same deity or spirit. Um, like the mirror of as what is that the harry potter thing mirror of araset or something you see what it is that you desire the most i think isn't that it's a case of because even talking about magic mirrors that's a whole podcast in itself so we've kind of got we're trying to give a broad little chat here i mean one one thing maybe to take it back to a more mundane level then okay so magical practice in harry potter magical the magical community i suppose in the real world in Harry Potter, you have the Ministry of Magic. You've got order. Yeah. But you don't. Do you have that, I suppose? On, on what level do you have that in the real world, in real practice? Oh, it's chaos. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's absolute chaos. Like, you know, and any attempt to do that, a perfect example of that would be Pagan Fed. Like, has tried to form its own... I think the I think the problem with Pagan Fed was more the fact that it was formed in a kind of political alliance kind of situation yeah. where it wanted to speak for the voice of collective pagans. Mm. And bearing in mind every diff, every different group in just the, our very small country, England, um, not including Wales, Scotland and Ireland, I mean literally just to go England, there are so many varieties of pagan in the area they don't follow the same book there is no book of pagan um it's not like any organized religion even when there is look at christianity or Islam exactly or whatever. it's like they all follow different even within a religion they pick um, and choose which customs they follow depending yeah. on what denomination they fall under um and actually in that way i think it's probably more of a mess than the various varieties of christian path there are yeah i can think it's i think it's even more messy than that because everything it's an individual practice yeah you even don't if tend it's to have work yeah even if it's coven work they may choose the same pantheon but ne- not necessarily all of them are worshiping the same gods so mm. you just kind of like that in itself kind of says the you know level of chaos there is in the witch world um and then there's obviously that isn't there not all not all pagans are witches not all witches are are pagans not all wiccans are witches some are just of the pagan variety like you know what i mean like there is that mix of you know a definition isn't as simple as although we pick it which on its own is enough for me i don't need the rest yeah but lots of other people like you know well what kind of witch are you what kind of pagan are you what kind of uh chicken are you you know like it is Mm. that kind of um complications layers and layers and layers of labeling that we do in today's culture that kind of is seems to be put through a prism when it comes yeah. to the witchcraft world yeah. and just spreads out in every direction of every color going well okay so so an interesting point that i kind of just when I'm kind of thinking about Harry Potter and the way in which we teach and stuff like that is in Harry Potter, Harry Potter, the universe never, and J.K. Rowling never addresses the greater mysteries that we consider basic. So like in Harry Potter, it's all about magical spells and stuff like you heal someone, you make something levitate. It's all very physical world stuff and they never get Manifestation. Yeah, it's all kind of manifestation. Whereas, you know, and to a certain extent, herbalism and magical, you know, alchemy from that perspective. But like just as soon as you get to the levels that you deal with from a basic witchcraft perspective in the real life, J.K. Rowling doesn't visit at. And I know that may be because it appeals to more people if you curtail those issues. But when you think about death, death is still a great mystery, even amongst the magical community. Yeah, look at the only witchcraft. And, and the only way that they actually address it in Harry Potter yeah. is with the Horcruxes. And the which, train at the end, obviously, where yeah. the spoiler alert. Yeah, so you kind of like um 
you case you're talking about splitting the soul yeah. into pieces in order to evade death mm. and you just kind of like but they didn't but then i guess part of that is there's no deities in well, her system there are no greater spirits technically not because the the only thing that i can find a reference to and i'm not a huge harry potter fan i don't know a lot about it is the fact that you have the the um deathly hallows and death appears so yeah. it's kind of like well technically death is if you look at how it's kind of portrayed in the film that death is personified yeah. and that there is clearly that's the closest thing to a deity and that even yeah. the magic of lord voldemort so say one of the most powerful magicians um wizards alive couldn't defeat death because he was just he just melted away or disintegrated i know that didn't happen in the books necessarily like that but it's a case of well it's quite lower mysteries and yeah. very often what we tend to work with the most as witches is the higher mysteries so yeah. that's another thing it's like you would expect a witch to know exactly what happens when you die to be able to deal with that energy and the Harry Potter franchise series, the book, the films and that never really deal with any of the greater mysteries. It's all kind of to put it into the kind of old fashioned ceremonial terms of low magic and high magic, earthly playing stuff and manifestation. And then yeah. the greater mysteries and, you know, greater questions that no one's supposed to know the answer to. But you get a very you get an idea when you practice and mess around with that kind of uh, energy currents and work. But that's interesting because, of course, she would. And again, I'm presuming that's just author's kind of uh, J.K. Rowling taking it from the perspective of being an atheist and also trying to appeal to a mass audience as yeah. well. Because you do get that in a lot of other... Keeping um, religion kind of clear of it. Yeah, you get that in a... Which they kind of also do in Star Trek and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, you know, Take whereas a clinical in, approach. In, in charmed and stuff like that they're trying to approve you know appeal to a broad thing but they've still got the um you know the elders which are still quite low down but you've got the angel of destiny and all that kind of thing which is supposedly yeah. on that kind of deity level i suppose near that kind of a, a benchmark whereas harry Potter has been successful but it hasn't really included any of that and even if no. it did with the death thing that was very later on and she but like could have explored it and i wonder like if say, she would write it in what she would put in would be quite interesting like you say though she's not and doesn't profess to be any kind of particular interest in witchcraft yeah true. Her, her interest is alchemy is change yeah. transformation yeah. um and actually is limited as that is a scientific approach to it yeah. a clinical view of something that is and obviously that viewpoint is always going to be limited whether or not she limited that on purpose or mm. it lies with her, her belief system, I don't know. It, you know, it does scream of atheist and it does scream of kind of Neoplatonism. So yeah. it just kind of that, you know, beginning, end, the, on, the only God would be death um, if there is a God. Like, you know what I mean? Like, there is mm. that kind of aspect of it. And it's even delivered as a fairy tale. Yes. So the actual discussion of death itself... Is it even actually involved? Are these the items crafted? Are the Deathly Hallows just the the pinnacle of some ancient workers crafting? Yeah. Like you know the um you know that she only touches it with the um in, invisible cloak with the fact that it was passed to father to son that kind of thing that like passed on down family line but even then it was still valuable because i think it yeah. was, it's an invisibility cloak mad eye moody the with the eye could yeah. still see through it so yeah it's a case of well was that actually it or was it just yeah know, because in how, theory how many, how many priests have got that little box where it contains yeah. like a bit of jesus's cross or something like that <laughs> exactly exactly so it's a case of well actually surely if that was actually cut from the cloak of death no no other magical object would be able to see it yeah um so and obviously there is mention she she does say something along the lines of you know there are many um invisibility cloaks um that 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 wasn't the only one yeah. so the question is actually was that the deathly hallow one or was that yeah. just a family recre recreation of it 
Um, you know, obviously, you know, is that just some plot holes that is there that just naturally happens? Um, you know, like, did she leave that on purpose? Whereas the, whereas the stone and the Elder Wand, again, they're both craftable items, though, aren't they? Yeah, they're magical items that you could could produce. I do find also quite interesting, um, because I'd, I would talk a little bit about the where I don't really like it, is the fact that it's a very black and white, this is dark magic, this is light magic. But the interesting perspective of the level of healing and the level of being able to break dark magic because that's essentially what gets albus dumbledore in the end he even him a powerful wizard touches yeah. that that thing and it starts to kill him off essentially and he seems unable to do that which is partly perhaps the reason why his his character decided that okay i might as well just put myself in a suicidal type position because it's not only going to buy me x amount of time kind of thing yeah. but they don't seem to be able to like it really is a big danger i think in the harry potter world when it comes to black magic and there's less emphasis on your use of magic and how what you decide to do with it and more of a case of well yeah. these things are forbidden these things are bad there's a clear line in the harry potter world which isn't there's a certain level of morality that yeah. is prescribed isn't there to the yeah. world and how that works um and it kind of does hit the kind of, which I guess matches again with the alchemist thing, is very much a chaos magic kind of approach. It is that kind of uh, dark magic is unchecked, yeah. uncontrolled. Is But they um, do have a price to pay, like with the Horcrux system of you losing a piece of your soul and that kind of, and, and it having a nasty effect on the body, because of course he goes more kind of snake-like and that kind of thing. Whereas it's kind of the case of that's mainly put in there because of, I suppose, J.K. Rowling's idea of, well, people that are bad need to get their comeuppance. And unfortunately, in the real world, that's not actually the case because you can get away with doing a hell of a lot of bad things and not get caught out by some angel on a cloud. They don't yeah. really care. <laughs> and strange, strange ways of negating karma, that sort of thing. Yeah. That actually would you know, probably put all sorts of problems into translating Harry Potter across to the real world, mm. or magical world, shall we say. It's interesting how much, when you're dealing with things like Harry Potter, because you can talk about um, translating um, ancient times and scripts and things like that, or even Bible translations, holy book translations from an ancient language into English with some other languages possibly in between but then thinking about the concepts that if you convert the english written harry potter books into another language and another culture and how other cultures would look at that if you if you translate into mandarin not speaking mandarin how different yeah. would that be it's quite an yeah. interesting thing and would they even be getting the same book yeah and obviously, with that, you're talking about, obviously, different starting points again. Because yeah. you're talking from their understanding of folk magic or yeah. magic itself is very different for a different culture. Um, and therefore, like, would that be anywhere near the same? Because the cult part of it seems to happen regardless where what part of the world it is. Mm. The queues, they queued for days, no matter where they were. Like, they were, you know, waiting for tickets for the um oh it's lost me now you know some some huge like you know gaga tickets coming out you know where people well, are all there clicking ready to go like every west, time willing to pay whatever price like the west did invade the world and western culture kind of goes through the world to the point where it is very much integrated into other cultures that are even very different so like the whole idea of the witch in africa is still like evil practitioner there is no yeah. good witch there whereas it was kind of like that to a certain extent here it's just the fact that the word the words kind of change in every day now by the themes of it um yeah. But yeah, it's kind of things like that that does 
that kind of translates over or doesn't translate over but i don't know what what what, what are your final thoughts then because i know we'll go into detail about specifics because you can't because it's, it's you know it's a big universe you can't really yeah you can't put that in an hour but yeah you know uh, final thoughts are probably you know well done jk rowling uh, for achieving what she achieved yeah i think it'll be a big i think it'll be a big seller <laughs> you know like well done like you know I go back to the point i made before definitely an alchemist whether or not she likes it or not yeah, yeah. um but at the end of the day i think yes it's it's a great work and really does open a lot of doors for the discussion of witchcraft yeah and what exactly that is I'm glad she uses words like wizardry um, and warlock because they're all words that we don't use. Um, Does she use where... warlock? I think, I, think. I think it's she uses mentioned... wizard and wizardry, witchcraft and wizardry. Because that's another thing we didn't cover is the fact that in there females are witches and males are wizards. That's kind of yeah. like, well, that's not really the archetype normally in the real world. No. It's kind of no. the type of practice is more described by the words magician yeah it's, a, it's the same witch. problem we had with lots of people calling themselves war, warlocks in the 90s and yeah. uh, noughties were because of things like buffy and angel yeah um and other things and obviously charmed we're all parts of that using language that we haven't used for a very very long time um and i can remember being quite quite insulted in my teams going well doesn't that mean you're a warlock and yeah. you're like no, which is non-binary. Um, anyway, sorry, yeah, your final thoughts? I don't know. I think that the, the more I talk about and we discuss something like Harry Potter, just because it is literally a, a magical world in itself yeah. that is, you know, picks up on so much, because a lot of series and books don't necessarily pick on all that much. I mean, we could right. take a topic like a Disney film or like something like Shadow Hunters on Amazon Prime and discuss it for ages and ages and ages. And only with like certain points that they even pick up in the series. But yeah. Harry Potter is the case that she really has made an effort to, to, you know, weave mythology and magical practice and history into the mix so much. Whereas, and I suppose she's tried to claw it as much as she could Whereas yeah. a lot of others will just stick to one path or one viewpoint. Often, if it's West, uh, you know, in the West, it's kind of a Judeo-Christian thing. So with Shadowhunters, you've got the demons and the angels and that yeah. kind of thing. But, you know, with, uh, yeah, which is another kind of refreshing thing, I suppose. We'll have to do one on um, Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit and everything as well. I guess so. The list just keeps getting longer, doesn't it? Yes, it does. <laughs> One ring to rule them all. <laughs> At least it keeps us busy, I guess. That's true. Yeah. But there we go. So, thanks for listening. And by this point, you'll be well into the Thoth Patreon. Um, so, thank you for your sponsorship. And, of course, you can always get in touch with us if there's any topics that you want us to elaborate on. So, if you want to talk to us about, you know one-on-one -on -one as a personal kind of practice your own practice and then we can also get suggestions from you for future podcasts and you know various other things that we're doing we like to hear back from you but anyway thanks for listening everyone